No, but seriously, have you guys heard about that cryo tank stuff? No, I haven't heard about it's it. Pretty no, cool. There I... is actually a company where you can like pay like twenty grand to, for like to have your brain thrown into like a tube with like hundred and fifty other brains, and then when we get like cyborg technology and shit, you're on the list. You get brought back. And yeah, then... but do I get a robot body when I come back? I mean, I yeah. I, I need that. That's in the... my only stipulation. I need that in the paperwork. I need to know that I'm going to get that when I come back. And I want to pick what robot body I get. You're dead. Well. What's it matter? No, I want to look to do that. No, I want to look like Arnold Schwarzenegger, but robot. Yeah, so the Terminator. Mm-mm. Come I on, be like a T1000. Mm-hmm. Thank you. Least. Police are on the scene of a deadly shooting. Graphic orgies of blood and violence. Mutilation, decapitation, torture. Does that sound entertaining? More blood than a blood bank. Have we got your attention? Unbelievable crime at the hands of satanic cults. Despite dozens of tips, help from federal agents, and a $40,000 reward, investigators say there are few solid leads. If you find this disturbing, just wait, because there is a whole other dimension. You are now listening to a morning cup of chaos. And with that, I am your fearless leader, Tyler Campbell. I'm Dylan, the intern. And today, we have a special guest with us because half of our crew is sick of dying. Who are we? It's me, Aurelio. <laughs> nah, it's just Riley. I decided to step in. This is uh, your first, like... So, do you do you know much about true crime? Like, is that something that you would ever really regularly follow? If I had a dollar for every fucking true crime show I was forced to watch as a kid, I'd be fucking Jeff Bezos. So he's a good he's a good person to have in this podcast. But right now. with that being said, you know, could I like drop names off the top of my head? Probably not a lot, but I've watched more fucking A and E like murder shows than I could count. Fair enough. Fair enough. Nice. And I just wanted to thank you guys for tuning in to a morning cup of chaos. Today we're talking about a special fucking asshole out in this world that uh definitely terrorized people in the 70s we are talking about the dating game serial killer rodney alcala rodney alcala he is a wolf in sheep's clothing he is a chameleon among men he is just a downright bad guy he is one of the prime examples of not needing a lot of pushing for humans to go to the darkest depths of their imagination and he's a i can't stress enough he's just a sick dude like he goes into child crimes adult crimes arsons he's a freaking he's a weed smoker that's like the worst thing that's definitely the worst out of all of those. <laughs> and and he was so good at camouflaging himself amongst people. That's probably the most terrifying thing about this person. I don't want to I don't want to make a boogeyman out of this guy because he's a low life, he's a scumbag, he's a piece of trash. Uh but he had such a good way of camouflaging himself amongst people. Like Jeffrey Dahmer, he smelled like dead bodies. Ted Bundy, yeah, he had that too. I mean, I mean that's a serial killer's best friend is camouflage. And this guy, he's got it. He's got it in abundance. And he was able to talk his way onto a fucking TV show. That's how good of a, of a I guess, personality this guy had when it came to his character. Well, you know what they say, fake it till you make it. And apparently this guy, <laughs> he faked it pretty fucking hard. He, he really did. Just, just imagine being in the 70s and you're going out for a night on the town. You go to the old disco club. 
and you see this guy on the dance floor, it's like, oh my god, I just met Ted Bundy, and he's at disco. But no, it's it's actually Rondi Alcala, and you're about to die. It and I'm glad that Tyler and Riley said Ted Bundy because he is most compared to Ted Bundy with his uh, blending in ability. You know, they're both they're both relatively pretty boys for the time period. It's the 70s, so it's not really hard, you know? Yeah. They, they kind of seemed like he had similar facial structures and stuff to Ted Bundy. He just, you know, the, the only difference that really stood out to me was the long hair. Nice. The well, hair, being that's a, the trademark <laughs> Rodney Alcala right there, the, tr- yeah. the hair. Yeah, being, long hair, you're a bad person. Being a, 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 a sociopath like those guys, like you don't really have much of a personality because you don't really understand human emotions. You don't understand these things. So these people have to learn how to disguise themselves in order to become the predatory person that they later become in life. I think that's another great point brought up because uh, I'm dropping knowledge, motherfuckers, because he actually graduated from UCLA with a fine arts degree. And personally, I think that that was all training. I think fine arts, photography, film, I think it was all a way to learn how to be human almost like if an alien came down and was in college classes you would pick it up you wouldn't be a human but you would pick it up you would learn how to talk to people you would learn how to convince people you would learn how to fool people and that was his main weapon in his repertoire Mm -hmm. this man was a modern day bears grills of the 70s (laughs) improvise adapt overcome so let's go ahead and dive into this story I'm glad we keep talking about the 70s because in the 70s in America, it was basically like the worst fucking time period for like anybody, especially women, because we had people like the Hillside Stranglers. Oh, it was the golden age for serial killers. Oh, yeah. Definitely 100%. was. Yeah. yeah. yeah they, it, were, they were going rampant. And uh, it, was, it was very easy whenever, you're, whenever it was back in those days. It was so easy to go to the next town or the next state and be like, hey, I'm Jim Bob Steve. Welcome to my my house, you know? <laughs> it, oh, come on in. Door's always unlocked if you ever just want to show up. And guys like, I'll remember that. <laughs> I'm just going to show up, yeah. It, it truly was the time period of open windows, no locks on the doors, you know? No. People didn't... People, it's so weird to me because people didn't even own dogs as much back in the day because people thought of them as protection a lot more back in the time period. And... You know, like, my, I have a dog, personally, that's kind of crazy. So, you know, nobody's walking in my door without her being an absolute no. monster. Right. Yeah, but you had, like, serial killers like uh, the Night Stalker. You had mm-hmm. Ted Bundy. Yep. You had the Hillside Strangler. Uh, just, I mean, they were running the streets. I mean, they were running the streets of California. They and that's, were... that's just California. We <laughs> had Son of Sam at the same time in New York. Mm-hmm. We had... Uh, funny enough, I was watching a documentary today, and there's uh, the Torso Killer. Didn't I don't know about that one. He's Rod Roger Cunningham, I think his name was, or Cottingham. Hmm. He's somebody that I'm gonna look into more after this. I just couldn't look into another serial rapist and murderer today. It's been a long day. <laughs> serial rape and murder for me. The mind can only take so much. <laughs> we might we might need to give Dylan a break. He seems yeah. uh, a little broken. He might just start becoming desensitized. <laughs> It's just crazy when Reese comes home and she goes, what are you watching? And I look up with tears in my eyes and I just say, nothing good. Then I go into my room and turn into a fetal ball. 
Yeah, it's it's really crazy because, like, you know, if you think about modern technology and everything, they didn't have that back then to track these serial killers. They really had the upper hand. Like, DNA evidence didn't even really become a thing until, like, the 90s, late 90s, early 2000s. Oh, sh- Or maybe early 90s, I want to say, but... And districts didn't talk to each other. Districts, when no. it came to police, they did not want to talk to each other about this kind of stuff. You know how many lives could have been saved if they would have just called the next state over and been like, hey, what's going on? What do you guys have? Because we have this. It's mm-hmm. like paranormal studies. They're like, fuck that guy. We saw we're the alien first. This. Yeah, we're, we're the ones. We're doing it. Precinct 919. That's the fucking <laughs> precinct. Guy. Fuck that one over on West 38th, man. Fuck Precinct 909, man. <laughs> right. But, um... We just we're we're being a little little jokey and stuff now because it's gonna be it it, it is gonna be kind of brutal. He starts just absolutely crazy. But bef- before we go any further with the start that started his childhood, Rodney Alcala was born with one of the longest, most French names I've ever heard in my life. <laughs> <laughs> Rodney's name when he was born was Rodrigo. Rodrigo Jacques Alcala Buqua. It's <laughs> a lot of syllables. <laughs> he was born in San Antonio, Texas, and then ended up living in Mexico for a lot of his childhood. He was born on September 23rd, 1943. Throughout his early life, Rodney was told to be liked by everybody. He was a pretty normal kid, and he had regular dates, friends, family that all had nothing but nice things to say about him he didn't have abuse he wasn't neglected he wasn't molested nothing that usually leads to serial killers being who they are you know that trauma can do a lot to people and he didn't really have it he had one thing in his entire life that people try and pin down as why he went crazy and did the things he did and that was at the age of 12 and when I was 12, shit, my life sucked. I, I agree, yeah. So, I wasn't doing anything age. but fucking shit up. Yeah. That's oh, all Jesus I was doing. Christ. Just running the Just streets. Just a bad kid. Just running the Just streets. Hoodlum. Oh, yeah. <laughs> well, Rodney wasn't. Rodney was an upstanding kid, unlike Tyler. God. And look at Tyler now. Tyler point out a my podcast. F- point out my flaws. Oh, yeah, that's a flaw. You're not like Rodney Alcala. Damn it. <laughs> Yeah. Now he runs a podcast. He's not a child rapist. So you know what? I think that's good. Good points are being made here. You might be in the right direction. Jesus fuck. All right, guys. Not the one your parents want, though. (laughs) (laughs) Anyway, continue on. But at the age of 12, his dad left him. That's it. Yeah. That's what fucked him up. That's. I mean, it's it's a big deal. Don't. I mean, don't get me wrong. There's a lot of, and everybody takes everything differently in life too. Everybody experiences loss. Everybody experiences, you know, hurt differently. But twelve years old seems like a little old to be like, "Daddy left. I have to murder this girl." Yeah, I mean. I guess, like, the downside to that is that's an age where you would understand how detrimental, like, that c- could be to you. I mean, I... Divorce is never an easy thing for somebody. No, not for no. anybody, not for any yeah, age. Like, but when you're younger, you're not going to understand what's really going on as much to that extent. Like, this guy's a preteen finding out his life's getting split up. I mean, that... I, especially at that age, I feel like that's going to set you down a pretty dark path in a way yeah it could it could lead to a it's lot of gonna, it's gonna mold you into a certain kind of person you know 
Yeah, I was gonna say my son, uh, me, me and my ex, we split up and like you know we we got divorced. But Atlas was too young to like remember me and his mom ever being right. together. Right. So it's more normalized for mm-hmm. him, you know. For somebody that's in his teens going through it, I'm sure he was leading some pretty harsh feelings. Yeah, because I was like 16 when it happened with me, so definitely I was I was filled with more angst and everything, and then you know, so it hit me a lot harder. But anyway. But you didn't become a murderer, and most people whose parents go through divorce don't. So we're not saying that there's any reason to, you know, side oh, with yeah. it. But that is if, that if, is why people say where he started to go, you know, kind of crazy. If you get divorced, don't worry. Your kid is not probably most likely not going <clears> to <throat> turn into a serial killer. Yeah, yeah, sometimes divorce is good, guys. There is no proof of it so far. <laughs> allegedly allegedly (laughs) fucking jake but he was like i said he was a normal kid all the way up until his teens at 18 he decided that he wanted to do what a lot of fucking serial killers do guys he went to the military Mm -hmm. and just like every other serial killer he didn't see any combat either he was a clerk in the military for three years He was apparently really really fucking good at it too he hmm had no problems his most of his entire military career so he would have been in like pre-vietnam then if he was 18 that would have been 1961 yep look at you knowing history yeah that's that's actually perfect it's accurate you know i was just trying to connect the dots there i'm like you know maybe if vietnam could have been a trigger for something like that i mean look what it's done to you know a lot of the troops that were still alive from it yeah so making solid points but he never even witnessed combat. He didn't even, you know, he didn't even have the stories of, you know, the bodies and the mangles and the the punji sticks, none of that stuff. Mm-hmm. It was just numbers all day, which can make a man go crazy, too. We've seen that with the post office. That's right. <laughs> but that we have. He went three whole years with nothing. And then all of a sudden, just crazy, just out of the blue. He goes AWOL. Nobody hears from him for a week. And in that time, he actually committed an assault on a woman in New York, went back to Fort Bragg, and then hitchhiked all the way to his mother's house in L.A. So he's a deserter and he's a monster already. I mean, it's starting right out the fucking gate. And how did he not get... How did what like court martialed or anything? Yeah, like how did he not get court martialed? Well, yeah, that's what we're going to talk about right now. Okay. Instead of being arrested, he was actually taken in under medical pretenses. Fucking bullshit. He was examined by a medical professional, a psychiatrist, and they deemed him with having antisocial personality disorder. He has a fucking disorder. Holy shit. And all it was was a nor- mental breakdown. He just had a nervous breakdown and. That's why he did what he did, and they honorably discharged him. Damn. Yeah. He even got away with the honorable discharge. That's nuts. After going AWOL at that. That's... Well, if they if they if if it's a medical thing and his, his brain kind of just snapped one day, you know, yeah. you, they, they can't do anything about that. It's just right. that him as a person, it was going to happen. Yeah, a certain, a certain kind of crazy has to be in the military, and he wasn't the right kind of crazy. I yeah. mean, every time I have a breakdown, I assault women, too, so I understand. <laughs> <laughs> I, I'm just kidding. That doesn't happen. 
I only assault steaks when I'm having a bad burger. <laughs> I assault the McDonald's drive-through. It's actually yeah. self-inflicted harm at that point. <laughs> you okay, man? I'm just. I don't know. I'm fine. <laughs> After his stint in the military, he went on to graduate from UCLA, like I said earlier, the Fine Arts Department, and he actually went to NYU later, funny enough. So two colleges that I could never fucking get into when I wanted to do my Fine Arts degree, and I'm not raping or killing anybody, so it's kind of <laughs> bullshit, if you ask me. Fun fact of the day. Fun, fun fact of the day was that one of his teachers at NYU was Roman Polanski. No shit. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Wow. Another woman assaulter. Yes, yeah, sir. I wonder where say. he learned it. Absolutely yeah. crazy. Well, I'm not going to blame Roman for all of it. I'm going to blame Roman for everything. I'm going to blame Roman for a lot of it. <laughs> After UCLA, he was ready to expand his horizons as a photographer. He was one of those guys that you see out on the beach following women, men, children around saying, hey, can I take your picture? Five dollars. Five dollars to take a picture. That's all it'll be. One picture, real good picture too. I the the people at the amusement parks. Now I'm terrified. You just put that image in my fucking head, man. That shit would not fly nowadays. Dude, it'd be like, hey, we could go down this, and I'm dumb enough, and they'd be like, hey, you want to come down this dark alleyway and take a picture? The lighting will be better. And it's like, yeah, sure, I got you. Yeah, don't get me wrong, but isn't that like what Jeffrey Dahmer did too? Kinda. Yeah. Like, I want to take pictures of you, but yeah. Yes. But he, maybe not not so publicly. Well, no. his, his was easier technically because for whichever, for the wildest reasons to me, Milwaukee had like a super popular gay scene that was also super big into being aspiring models. Hmm. And there was no modeling agencies in Milwaukee for gay men. So he was like, hey, man. Wanna come back to my place, take some pictures, model. I'll be a good star for you. Watch The Exorcist. And Three. that, and that's how serial <laughs> killers, like what we were talking about earlier, find ways to blend into their surroundings. Like he knew what his surroundings had. Aspiring models, the uh, homosexuality community was was at its uh, at its finest. So like, I mean, he knew his crowd. He knew what he was going after. Hook, what? line, and sinker. What? I don't know. What? <laughs> I just. <laughs> I just thought it was funny. What, it, what it, about the homosexuality scene was at its finest? Yeah, they, were all being, they were all being murdered in mass by a drug rapist. That's not what I fucking meant. That's are, not are you what saying I that it's meant. not at its finest saying, now? Are you saying uh, that now Jesus with real agencies and, and Take protection? all of this out. Take no, all of leave this it. out. <laughs> all right, go ahead. Oh, shit. Pitchers play probably the biggest role in Rodney Alcala's story more than almost the murders themselves. There was a, I think a database of 1,100 pictures that the FBI, the police ended up confiscating from him later on in his career. And 110 of them are still in circulation now as of 2020 or 2022 actually of July. And there's 110 still in circulation, still looking for cold case files. He Holy shit. Yeah, he he had pictures of young boys, young girls, women, naked, partly conscious, half dead, some actually dead. dead. He was what I like to call a, a memoir killer. He 
he wanted what came from his kills and he used them constantly to remind him of who he was he he was a monster those pictures we'll get a little bit more into later we're gonna start with this first crime and it's fast out of the gate he wastes absolutely no time with being a despicable 23 year old man and the last thing we just talked about was him graduating ucla fine arts he was ready to start his career to be anything he wanted to be something that a lot of people don't have the opportunity to do and he decided to do what i'm about to explain next all right the first victim of Rodney was a young girl, eight years old, Tally Shapiro. Tally Shapiro's family was staying at the Chateau Marmont, so she had to walk to school from a hotel. Her parents had to go to work, and she had missed the bus because she's not used to that route. Along comes Rodney Alcala, 23 years old, pulls up, sees this girl skipping to school. He goes, hey, I'm a friend of your parents. Want to ride to school? It was the 70s, but she wasn't that trusting, so she said no. I I don't recognize you. I'll just walk. It's no problem. He pulls up to her a few minutes later. He says, well, I don't have to give you a ride to school, but if you come back to my place, I'll show you this pretty picture. And with that, the horror of Rodney Alcala begins. I almost got into a car with a stranger once. Oh God! <laughs> I was a little kid and it was raining. It was pouring. It was me and my brother, like pouring. And I was walk- walking to uh, middle school, and this lady pulled up. She's like, "I'll give you guys a ride if you want." And I was like, "I don't know you." That happened to me too. Actually, it's funny you say that. I was like in grade school, and some old lady gave me and like my brother and one of our friends a ride home, even though we only live like five blocks away. Mm-hmm. It, it was it was still Mm-mm. like probably one of the weirder experiences Mm-mm. of my life. Dude, what Mm-mm. the fuck? You guys are yeah. fucking what the fuck? But, I mean, oh, granted, I didn't get in. I, I oh, I was yeah. gonna say I was no, like, I, I got, didn't trust I got in nobody. The car. I was I don't know. I was probably like eight years old. I want to say, dude. I, I fucking, don't really remember to tell you the truth. I watched America's Most Wanted since I was like four, dude. I wasn't fucking trusting no dude. His, the well, dude who ran that kid got put into a garbage bag. I, I know. Well, he was at the grocery store. <laughs> yeah. And you guys are getting in fucking strangers' cars. <laughs> Jesus Christ! I'm glad you're well, almost I thirty. Lived, Holy shit! To my defense, I lived in like a small bumfuck town of like three hundred people. I did. Day. I didn't. I lived so, in Danville. Like, I was. Like most of my family and my family's family lived in that area or around. So it's <laughs> like, if, you know, if they knew who I was, they knew who my fucking second twice removed cousin was, you know, shit like that. Oh, so being a sexy, sexy, sauntering little eight-year-old wasn't fucking a problem for you, is what you're saying? It I wasn't, guess, it was, yeah. It wasn't in a town that it mattered. Pedophilia can happen anywhere, Riley. <laughs> I guess so. <laughs> Jesus Christ, I shouldn't have to teach a grown man this. Well, fuck me. After Tali got in the car... After Tally got in the car, Rodney drove her to his house. He was renting an apartment in L.A. at the time. Luckily for everybody now, because this crime would have been completely unnoticed, I believe, if there wasn't a bystander who saw an older man trying to convince a young girl to get into his car. And he did something that a lot of people don't do nowadays, and he followed them to Rodney's house. He called the police and he said, this is kind of... 
I'm not going to sleep right if you guys don't check this out. So will you send an officer over here? Gave him the address. I think it was five minutes, the police officer in the Dateline interview said. And by then, it was already almost too late. Officer Chris Camacho was the first responder on the scene. He showed up, and he didn't know what to expect. He didn't know if he was armed. He didn't know what he was walking into. So he did wait outside and call for backup to have somebody go around the back of the house just in case. When he walked up to the door and started to knock, he saw Rodney's face pop up in the window next to the door. He said, one second, I'm naked, just got out of the shower. Officer Chris Camacho knew why he had been called there. He seen a young girl being forced into this house. After about five seconds, he busts the door down. Rodney quickly put on his pants and escaped out the back door before the officer could get around to the back. And the first thing Officer Chris Camacho seen after that would haunt him for the rest of his life. He seen an eight-year-old girl, Tali, lying in a pool of her own blood. She was unconscious and had a metal bar across her throat. Officer Camacho made the choice to stop and save that young girl's life that day, and unfortunately Rodney got away. Tally had been raped, abused, beaten, and so messed up she forgot how to walk for six months. Holy she still shit, to this day has a scar across her throat from the bar. She and she's actually I mean she's made an amazing recovery. She speaks in interviews now. I mean only mm-hmm. just recently cuz as you'll see Rodney Alcala his trial and his his being put away was far too elongated. Yeah, she actually doesn't remember much of that night. She remembers uh getting into his car and going into his house and that was it. That's it. And then she woke up in the hospital miraculously too at that barely that's that's, the doctor said she was gonna die and i just want to like preface to our listeners here i'm going into like a lot of the story of this guy fresh and i'm honestly hearing all that like pretty devastated like that's extremely fucked up yeah and she lived that's one of the good stories yeah wow that's that's really intense Mm -hmm. right out the gate yeah after that, her family moved to Mexico. They couldn't even bear to live in the States anymore. They wanted to give her a fresh start. After she learned how to walk, they went to Mexico, and they didn't come back for until she was an adult. And because Chris Camacho decided to stop and save that young girl's life, Rodney would go on to murder almost a dozen more women. I see he still made the right choice. He, he, still, he still made the right yeah, choice. He did. He did. Uh, because they you. had they had the they had inside his apartment they found his school ID and they were able to identify him and actually have a name to this monster. He just kept getting into their hands and then letting go. Rodney was on the run after this, and DNA and forensic evidence, like Riley mentioned earlier, was it didn't exist in the seventies. People didn't no. know what DNA meant. It was basically useless back then. Honestly, he it's 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 not smarts because he couldn't have known he didn't know anything about dna either but these people that got away with these crimes in the 70s it's crazy to think that almost by blind luck some of these people could you know like richard ramirez and rodney alco leave behind all this evidence Mm -hmm. 
and nowadays you can't fucking spit on a cop car without them being able to scrape it and take your DNA. Like it's it seriously has gotten it, it's worlds and all, it's like a sci-fi movie how far we've jumped with technology. Well, we haven't actually been able to use that kind of uh, science in a courtroom either until OJ's case. You know, with the glove. Yeah, we weren't able to 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 use DNA. And that was what. 1993. Yeah, so almost early 2000s. It, it it really puts into perspective how these criminals and how these monsters got to live how they did. Yeah, and just think about a lot of the things that didn't get brought to light as well. A lot of the things that you know p- people will never talk about. It's really fucked up. Rodney being on the run lasted for three whole years. In those three years, as far as we know, Rodney went without incident as a camp counselor for young girls at a theater camp. It's more of the blending. It's learning his audience. It's learning how, and I believe this entirely, it's learning how to trick older girls now. Yeah, he, it's all communication. He knows how to trick young girls, and now he needs he wants to up his game a little bit, so he needs to learn how to trick teenagers because, I mean, shit. I could get a six-year-old in a my six-year-old in a car with candy. My thirteen-year-old, she'll tell me to fuck off. <laughs> <laughs> That's just how kids are nowadays. Yeah, they know better. The name that he picked is like comically funny because it's so New York. Because that's where he was at. He went to he went to New York to run away. This is when he started going through Romans classes, and he went to NYU. Hey, I'm fucking John Burgers. What's up? John fucking Burger was oh his name. God. The camp the camp loved him. That's the craziest thing. In all those three years, the camp fucking loved him. He was known as one of the best teachers, a naturally gifted, I guess, counselor. Counselor. He had nobody had anything bad to say about him. And it, it's crazy. He already committed a heinous crime against a child. And like Tyler and Riley said earlier, you could just fucking go somewhere else and be someone else nowadays you can't fucking do anything without the government knowing he could literally he i mean i'll get into it right now after he went to nyu it took three years for rodney to be put on the fbi's most wanted list three years of, holy shit yeah three years of the cops chris camacho and the lapd being like we need to put him on there we've got all this information like tyler said Get the man's picture out there. Get him out there. Three years. Finally, he's on there. Yeah. the co- Like I said, the cops had the, the, the ball in their hand. They just kept dropping it. I mean, it wasn't Chris's fault, but it was higher-ups getting the, the the resources passed over. Like, I don't know. The, it's just this ball just keeps getting fumbled. It The, the crimes are what we're going to focus on most in this episode because the court – etiquette and a lot of the ways this was treated just makes me sick to my stomach the way that people just let a lot of this stuff continue to happen oh he'll get better he'll get better he'll get better he never gets better after being put on the top 10 most wanted list and something that seems almost like a random act of cosmic justice two of the young girls that were a part of the camp that he worked at we're out walking and it began to rain one day. The closest building to them that they could seek shelter in was the post office. Post office back in the day used to have the FBI most wanted list. And the girls were kind of like true crime heads, so they were like, let's go check it out. Let's scare each other a little bit. Let's see, you know. Let's just see these monsters. They got about to the end of the list and they 
both stopped and their jaws dropped. They said, that's Mr. Berger. Right there was a picture, the wanted poster of Rodney Alcala. Fingerprints, pictures, everything. They went back to the camp and told the head counselor. He got in his car, drove to check on it himself, and Rodney was in custody by the end of the night. And that's where he got put away for 50 years, and we never heard another thing about him. Social justice, it's been a good episode. Love you guys, we're out. <laughs> Just kidding. Actually, what happened was Rodney would be in custody, and he would be sentenced to prison for less than three years. Wow. But before we get to that, while Rodney was in custody and on his way back to L.A., it was 1971. This is one of the first murders that he was actually conclusively linked to. He went from Tali Shapiro in L.A. to a murder immediately in New York. Cornelia Michelle Criley was a TWA flight attendant who had found, or who was found, strangled and raped by the police in her apartment. She had lived alone, she had just moved in, and Rodney was said to be helping her with furniture. She was 23 years old. He still or strangled and raped this woman to death and just went back to camp like it was nothing. That was his first crime that we said we can conclusively link him to. Police believe that he might have up to 130 victims. God damn, dude. Jesus, fuck. We're only going to go over, I think, eight total is what he can conclusively be linked to. So that's the first one. As she's being investigated by police in New York, Rodney's in court. The Shapiros went to Mexico, though, if you remember from me saying earlier. And with them being in Mexico, they wouldn't come back to prosecute. I don't know if it was shame. I don't know if it was to give their daughter a new life and just leave it behind them. But that would be one of the things that led Rodney to just slip through the judicial system like that. With them not being there and without calling the witness that followed Rodney to his house, I don't know why they didn't. It was all lazy, lazy prosecuting. There was no reason why they didn't call this man. He called the police, you know. With that, Rodney was given an indeterminate sentence. Does anybody here know what an indeterminate sentence is? No. I do not. No. An indeterminate sentence is where a parole board, with no prior knowledge of the crimes, evaluates the prisoner yearly and decides if he is reformed or not. This is a thing that can be used to help young kids who make a mistake or, you know, petty criminals who are just in a bad spot at the time. But for Rodney, it led to him being locked up for about 17 months. He was given a one year to life in prison sentence for child molest that's all this went down as it's sickening and like i said that one year to life led to basically two years in prison and he was gone upstanding prisoner reformed he had no threat to society at all but it also, that goes back to, like, how we said earlier, he was just able to blend himself in to kind of, you know. Yeah, he served a little bit of time, and he came out, and he's like, hey, guys, I'm all better now. Yeah, he and was able to manipulate, you know, the people around him to believe that, you know, he was able to be reformed back into society. 
that that's a big thing too that people will say he used his charisma to do this but it seems almost wrong for parole boards parole officers judges supreme court by the end of his time to fall for this kind of stuff you know i know we're all human but i mean he brutally beat and molested and raped a young girl in his own apartment yeah with all things considered if i were the judge or any member of the jury or anything like that that guy probably would have never saw the light of day again but that's where la's judicial system at the time just kind of let it slip and it gets absolutely just disheartening what he does next not more than two months after his re-release he was arrested for smoking weed in a national park with a 13 year old girl that he had just kidnapped and was most definitely in the process of raping and murdering before a park ranger came out of nowhere investigating the weed smell busted for weed busted for weed exactly is what it was the kidnapping played no real role into what he was convicted for and spent the next two years of his life in prison for pot possession and selling to children hey morty you see this guy he's got like a he's got like this pedophile mark right here he killed a couple people uh he's with a 13 year old we should let him go right just bust him for weed that's just a little bit of pot that's what i thought okay so we're just gonna let this go okay have a nice day the girl's name was Julie J. That's all we know about her. 13 years old. And she begged and pleaded and even testified. I didn't want to be here. I was kidnapped. I didn't want to smoke that weed. Rodney somehow convinced the judges that that was only worth two years and the sell of marijuana. So, like you said, I guess it really does play into his acting. After those two years, though, again, it's... You fucking won't believe this. After he was released, he convinced his parole officer to let him fucking roam freely the whole country. Oh, my God. Yep. Yep. It just gets better, man. It just gets better. This is a special kind of piece of shit. Yeah, I can tell. So from L.A. in 1997, as soon as he got permission, goes right back to New York. 1997 was right in the middle of the Son of Sam murders, too. So, I don't know if that was him using his smarts as a predator to go somewhere where chaos was already running wild and fear was amok, but he definitely used it to his benefit. Because that year, he committed his second murder. He wouldn't be tied to this murder for another long time. He went for basically the highest profile victim you can go for. As you can see, he's already starting there. He's starting with young white girls and beautiful young white women in the 1970s there was no higher victim type except for the fucking president he did it again with another 23 year old girl this girl was named ellen jane hoover and it was a week off of the plane when rodney committed this murder ellen hoover was well known her father owned the popular nightclub cicero's and she was actually the goddaughter of Dean Martin and Sammy Davis Jr. Holy shit. Somebody important. Yeah. That's very where he fucked profile. up. It was a year until people even had Rodney pinned to knowing Ellen Hoover, not even involved with the murder, because 
in her date book, it had said John Berger or meeting with John Berger. He convinced her to take pictures for her. Again. Yeah, I'm gonna. Can you be a model for me? Yep. Her body was found in the very public Rockefeller Estate in North Terrytown, New York. A park for anybody to find. He loved the shock value of his crimes. He wasn't a Peter Curtin where he would sit there and watch from across the street, but he loved for people to see his work. He really made theatrics of murdering these girls. He posed her body in ways where victims or the people that seen the victims just wouldn't even know what to do. It's it truly is almost like a horror film. He he mangled her. He set her aside on the side of the road in some bushes and he left her there to rot. She was found a few days later. And she really did set the standard for his victims. She is basically as high profile as you can get and he still walked away for years. Nobody knew. 1977 was a super busy year for Roddy. He was attached to a murder later on. 2015 is when he was actually connected to it, so it's crazy. This one I'm mentioning because he wasn't ever tried for it because by the 2015 he was basically insane. He had Alzheimer's, he had schizophrenic personality disorder, he had all types of disorders, stuff that really made him seem like a crazy criminal monster but at this time he was still just a young cool girl oh no young cool guy out there taking pictures and he actually convinced christine ruth thornton who was six months pregnant and just had left her boyfriend to take pictures with him her sister had seen the picture in 2013 she disappeared in 19 80, no, she. her body was found in 1982. She disappeared in 1977. Sorry, the dates are a lot in this one. It took nearly 30 years, four, no, 40 years, for her sister to see the picture that the FBI was circulating to finally, conv- or to even link Rodney with this one. Ah, it's fucked. Could you imagine? And that's why the, and that's why they have these pictures still out there. If you ever lived in any of these states, Wyoming, uh, Mississippi, New York, L.A., I mean, I don't know how old our listener reach is, but if you know anyone or family members that had somebody go missing in the 70s to the 80s... There's a good chance. You definitely should check out the pictures, if nothing else, because there's 100 people that are still... M- ghosts because of this man and it's it really is something that should be corrected she was six months pregnant at the time like i said so brutality was at an all-time high high for him yeah i could i i don't want to imagine it's so hard listening to this i'm just saying i it's a lot for me to take in like i said i this is it's fucking devastating honestly and what he did to her was no better than anything he did for anybody else. She was found in 1982, like I said, off of Interstate 80 in Granger, Wyoming. He had burned parts of her body. He had bit at parts of her body, and he had mutilated her body in such ways where it looked like she was contorted. The brutality in the pictures 
really indicate that he has been doing this for a long time, if you ask me. I Personally, I've looked into hundreds of true crime stories, spent hours, years of my life looking this stuff up. He is so complex to me and so such a, oh, an enigma because he, he, I believe he could have 130 victims because he's brutal. He, you'll hear some of the stuff that he does next. He uses hardware. He, he jams things inside of people like childish play. Fuck. He bites people's appendages off. He rips at them with his nails. He would, he would, he would do stuff to bodies that would almost make it look like a human wouldn't be able to bend and move in those ways. And some of these women were alive the entire time. He usually strangled them after the torture. Would you would you say that it's like him just testing out like what he wants to do? Like is he trying to make some kind of grand thing like Jeffrey Dahmer had a shrine that he was working towards. Do you think he was working towards any type of crazy fucked up goal? I don't think he had enough to him, really. I think Jeffrey Dahmer didn't want to do a lot of the stuff he did. He didn't have an outlet. He was a very sympathetic serial killer in a lot of ways. Rodney, I have no sympathy for. He He didn't have a plan. He didn't want to keep bodies he didn't want people to never leave he didn't want to make zombies i think what he wanted to do was to make art and this was just his art oh that's fucked (laughs) (laughs) holy shit he just had a big realization there this this was his interpretive dance this was his magnum opus you know he he was if i believe that if he wasn't caught he would have gone on to be somebody that everybody in the entire world knows he went under the radar because of a lot of the people going on at the same time that took publicity from him Mm -hmm. but i think because he was so brutal and so disgusting and did these things with such young people i think that is why he went under the radar because he's almost too icky to talk about he doesn't he doesn't make anybody here laugh he doesn't make anybody here smile we're all looking down, not looking at each other, grimacing when these details come out. It is true. This is truly a story for the victims and the few people that did survive encounters with him because in the time period, if you encountered him where you knew his name, a lot of the time you did not. I think why this is worse than anything we've covered was like our unit 731 and s21 episodes those don't have i mean they have faces but they don't have like a singular face that you can you know point to and be like this is the monster that did all this like we have rodney that's that's tangible and we have these instances and moments that we're talking about within this like i that's why i feel like this is a lot worse than what we've covered in the past and it really is i mean it adds an individuality to it 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 the you know Pol Pot was mysterious on purpose commander du- or comrade duke and all these joseph mengele all these people they were a part of government institutes doing this stuff whole nations were going crazy at the time but 
like you said, the individuality and the familiarity of it being just one guy doing all this stuff without any direction from a higher up, it, it really is. It's sickening. It's, it's tough. The world was crazy in the 70s. A lot of lead paint. <laughs> a lot of asbestos. Oh, yeah. Well. Lead was in the air. It was love. His murder of Christine Thornton took place in 77 like i said he was back on his way to la to appear on america's number one rated dating show game the dating game yep. <clears throat> and the dating game if you're unfamiliar is a game where a young pretty girl comes out she's the bachelorette and she has to pick on or pick out of three gentlemen who are behind a wall those are the bachelors those three gentlemen have three questions that they will be asked and they have to answer whoever answers the best to the bachelor that's liking i guess is who gets to go home they go on a date paid for by the execs (laughs) and they fall in love and get married oh what a happy ending mason go ahead and play the clip (laughs) from hollywood the dating capital of the world it's the dating Thank you. Thank you. And welcome to the dating game. And we'll get right underway. It's time to meet our first three eligible bachelors for game number one. And here they are. Good luck, gentlemen. Well, let's see. Bachelor number one is a successful photographer who got his start when his father found him in the dark room at the age of 13, fully developed. Between takes, he might find him skydiving or motorcycling. Please welcome Rodney Alcala. Rod, welcome. The young lady in this episode that comes out, her name is Cheryl. Cheryl was introduced with a kind of icky joke about her boss, saying Cheryl used to be a foot massager, and she ended up quitting when her boss told her to work her way up. With that joke, kind of sets the tone for, you know, where we were at we were sexy we were first breaking out as a as a nation i guess you know we were just leaving 50s and 60s where it was leave it to beaver and shit like that where this guy looked like he microdoses lsd every day he he did microdose lsd oh did he yeah chuck barris yeah yeah oh yeah i totally did dude if you it if nobody knows anything about this chuck barris was the producer of the wedding game or the dating game and the gong show see i don't know any of these shows oh dude some of these shows are awesome they're so fucking fun it's super weird though because it's like like i said we're branching out as section in sexuality as a nation so we just went from husband and wife sleeping in separate beds to them asking questions on national television like now deborah i heard that you make a certain sound when your husband spanks you on the rump do you make a certain sound when your husband spanks you on the rump? Oof. Ooh, the cringe. Yeah. <laughs> the fucking beer I, cringe. I just think the introduction itself with Cheryl is, oh, her boss, t- or her boss told her that she had to work her way up. Like, da- work her way down. No, it was work her way up. From the feet. Your dick's above your feet, Oh, that's feet, right, because, well, sometimes. <laughs> Do we need to pull out a diagram? I don't know. 
But no, just the fact that they would make that joke on national television. And, you know, of course, as soon as the, the host said that, everybody in the audience lost their shit. Like, oh, that's oh. so funny. Oh, yeah. It was like, a like I, I don't, why would you laugh at that? You right? got one guy why in the audience. You got one guy in his audience who's like an exec at some company talking to his buddy. He's just like, oh, I made Diane work her way up last week. Yeah, exactly. Well, that's <laughs> Best head of my life. <laughs> that's why it's funny, because we were filled with fucking sexual predators in the 1970s. Everybody was watching that show in L.A., in the audience was like i just fucking molested somebody yesterday well, we also hilarious. just got out of the 60s and like woodstock and everything too where it was free mm-hmm. love and everything yep. like that you know which later turned into the aids epidemic well <laughs> yes i'm just saying <laughs> you're not wrong free, i'm not wrong free love is where this came from chuck barris was a, a product of it uh he actually wrote a book it was uh Confessions of a Dangerous Mind, a fucking fantastic book. Is it a book about Alcala? It's a no. It's a book about being a producer and his life. It's like oh, an autobiography shit. about him. But he fucking says some crazy shit. He says he was hired by the FBI as like an assassin, and he would like That's have you know people on the episode and shit like that. Is like a fucking government sting and shit like that. Oh, it's so crazy. You should definitely read it. He kind of lost his mind after his daughter committed suicide. Fair so. enough. From Hollywood, the dating capital of the world, it's the Dating Game. Here's the star of our show, your host, Jim Lyons. Hey! Thank you. Thank you very much. Thank you. Thank you. And welcome to the Dating Game. And we'll get right underway. It's time to meet our first three eligible bachelors for game number one. And here they are. Good luck, gentlemen. Well, let's see. Bachelor number one is a successful photographer who got his start when his father found him in the dark room at the age of 13, fully developed. But yeah, the introduction for Rodney, just as disgusting as you guys heard. Oh, it gets worse. It gets so fucking cringe, bro. His answers, I mean, his answers are terrible. You, I mean, looking at it now, obviously, we all know. Anybody who watched that game show clip nowadays usually knows it's got a big dating game killer, serial killer on dating show, like, Mm -hmm. subtitle above it. People know he's supposed to be a creepy fucker, but at the time he won, you know, you guys just seen it. He won that episode. What you didn't see was after the fact, she refused the date. Cheryl didn't want to go on the date. She spent five minutes with Rodney and knew that he wasn't somebody... When you go back and watch that video and that clip and you, okay, you get curious about this clip and like what the fuck we're talking about and you want to see what it looks like and you're like, oh, this is, this will be fun to watch. <clears throat> Look at the fucking fear in this woman's eyes after she gets a like good second look at him. She, she looks at him. She looks back at uh, the, the host, looks back at him and then looks back at the host. And when she looks back at the host and it kind of zooms in on her face, her eyes are fucking huge and she looks fucking terrified. She 100% does. And that's one of the first things I noticed about the video, mm-hmm. too, when we watched it earlier. I'm like, she is not comfortable with anything that's going on. What, you would be comfortable with the serial killer at Magic Mountain? Because I fucking, let's go, boys. <laughs> well, that's what well, I was saying, too. <laughs> it's like I was saying, too. Um, like I made the joke that like the more stuff the announcer was announcing that they were going to do, <laughs> I'm sure bigger, like, bigger, yeah, bigger. like she was just internalizing like, oh, fuck, I got to do this with him. I got to do this with him. I got to do this with him. Imagine if he would have killed her, though, if he would have gotten her. 
How many? How many have explained that? I guess at the end of the night, I, I guess you would have to go through all of that. It would be like be. I have a plan. It would be the it would be the same thing every serial killer says. I was with her when the date was over, but and we went our separate ways, and I don't know what the fuck she did after that. How would I know? Yeah, right I don't now. know what happened to her. Uh, yeah, she was at White Castle or something. That's the thing. If she would have went on this date, she would have probably been victim number six at that time. Because up oh, in, absolutely. Up until this point, he had already murdered five women, which we'll get into in a little bit for the few that we haven't covered yet, because it's nice to take the time to cover them individually, not just thrown into mixing them with uh, Chuck Barris. But after the dating game show appearance, it's 1979, Rodney's back in L.A., just living his life. He actually goes to the Los Angeles Times, and he fucking uses his real name to apply for a job. His name's attached to two child crimes and pot possession. Like I said, that's the biggest crime of them all. And they still fucking hire him. He's a typesetter now, working for the L.A. Times. And you guys, I don't know if this is just me as a person or what, but I was never one of those guys where people would come up to you and they just show you naked pictures of people at work. And they're like, hey, man, you like that? You like that? That's cool. You want to see something cool? It's just like a picture of a naked woman. Oh, yeah. I've been you in those situations. Ever, you guys it's ever like, yeah. Yeah, I think I've been in that situation. Yeah, it's kind of makes you feel weird because unless you're like, hey, man, I want to see your homemade porno. You don't really want to see somebody's home- homemade porno. Nah. No, you really don't. So Rodney decided to take this to like the next step. There was multiple, multiple people that worked with Rodney at the L.A. Times that said that he would go around showing them pictures that he took of young, naked girls and boys. Huh. That is something. At what point do you go to HR? Like, at, at the time? At the time, normally someone would be like, hey, you want to see it? Then I'm normally in HR being like, yeah, they were going to show me something. I don't know. At the time? <laughs> Nobody batted an eye. They uh, thought he was avant-garde. Thought he was just a little eccentric. Yeah, here's a picture of this naked girl. I know she looks eight. She is eight, but, like, don't oh, worry about oh, it. Oh, Rodney, he's just, like, really into nude stuff. <laughs> like, we might even think he's a nudist. Well. But we've never seen pictures of him naked. Just other people naked. Just he, other people. And he carries them with him in a briefcase. He's got a, he's got a shitload of them, dude. So fill an album in his desk if you ever want to see it. <laughs> He'll show you. Just ask. Go on file nude and you'll see just just endless uh, pictures. Mm-hmm. He he was very brazen about it. They, they're, like I said, multiple people eventually later on in the Dayline episode into police after this all came out said that they were very obviously looking at child pornography, not only in public, but at their fucking job. Yeah, they should all be in trouble. And you know how he got away with all of it? He said that their parents asked them to take the pictures. That's fucking, dis- that's just disgusting. And yeah. everyone bought it. Everyone was like, oh, you just let that guy take pictures of your fucking nine-year-old naked daughter? Well, that's cool. That was pretty cool of you. <laughs> Like wow, legitimately, man, that's really artistic of you. Le- legitimately, that's what people would say. People thought that he was just a kooky, eccentric artist. February in 1979, so not even you know, fresh into the year. He's just getting his job. He's just being acquainted with everybody. He's just showing them all this homemade porno of <laughs> nine-year-old girls. <laughs> and Rodney decides that he's kind of, he's kind of feeling frisky. He wants to go out. He wants to go on a date. Picks up a 15-year-old. Wow. Monique Hoyt. So Monique 
was picked up consensually by Rodney Alkalis. She testifies to this in court. She says that we had a consensual night together up to a certain extent. After they woke up the next day, that's where the non-consensual stuff started. Rodney spent the night with her. He drove her to the mountains in the morning, and he said he was going to take pictures of her. Took some nice pictures, showed them to her. He said, now let's take some silly pictures. When I think of silly pictures, I think of, like, sticking your tongue out or, like, throwing up the peace sign or, like, bunny ears behind your friends. He wanted her to pull her shirt over top of her head. So, more pornography for the guys over at the LA Times. You know, just more stuff for his friends. And as soon as she put that over her eyes, and she agreed. She was all for it. She she was groovy. Like I said, she was consenting. 15 years old, though, so... Not much of a consent there. Take that as you will. Right. As soon as she put the shirt over her eyes, Rodney hit her in the head with a tree branch. Knocked her unconscious. She played dead after she had woke up. And when he started to rape her, she couldn't stop herself from screaming. She screamed and she cried and she begged him to stop. He strangled her until she passed out and she woke up again. And it was almost as if something changed in Rodney. She was still tied up, but he was sitting next to her. And he was crying, his hands in his head. And he was he was different, she said. And it's one of the most brave and smart things I think anybody in one of these situations could do. She says, let's go home to your mother's house and we can just talk about it. Unless it's Ed Gein and then there's a problem. That is a problem. That would be a huge problem. It's a bad problem. Don't sit on the couch. In fact, don't touch anything. <laughs> don't eat the soup. <laughs> don't even ask for some water because it's out of a goddamn woman's head. Don't ask why there's nipples on that lampshade. <laughs> you want to see my cool belt? Yeah. Call it the mammary belt. <laughs> hey, guys. It's Tom with the Magic Wand from Misfortunate Media. If you made it this far in the episode, we stopped for a beer run, but check out our other shows, our deep dive show, Morning Cup of Chaos, our anime show, Now I Mention Everything, and our new show, Meta Misfortune. You can check us out on any streaming platform or anywhere you listen to your podcast. But after he composed himself, he untied her, and they went back to his mom's house. On the way, Rodney didn't beat her. He didn't do anything more to her. He did say he had to stop and take a leak. So he goes, and as soon as that bathroom door closed, she got out of that fucking car and she ran to a motel across the street and called the police. I don't know why he was so lackadaisical. I don't know what had happened with him because if he would have done this beforehand with any of the other victims, he would have been done at the time. I don't know if he got lazy. I don't know if he got tired. I don't know if she said something that resonated with him, but he just went back to his mom's house after he realized she was gone. He just he just kind of called it. He went to New York every other time or went across the country every other time he committed a crime, and this time he just went home. And he was arrested asleep, sleeping naked like a fucking baby in his mom's house that night. It's It truly is one of the most bizarre things about this entire case. So she didn't actually try and escape when she called the police? Like, did she leave with him after that phone call? Or? No, no. She 
She well, called probably. the pol- she called the police and the police came and took care of her. Okay, and that's, he that's what I would think so, would happen. Yeah, what what happened well, is she wouldn't got, get back in the fucking car. No, no he didn't. Life. He didn't even bother to look for her. He just he got to the car, saw she was gone, and was yeah, like, "This yeah. like, well, is it. That's it." It's that's it's okay. straight out of a fucking horror movie. Okay, as soon as gotcha. he seen that she, as soon as she seen the door close, she was gone, gone. Yeah, and, he knew he was done for. Yep. So, mm-hmm. Yeah, just been to his mom's house for fuck's sakes. And I, I like I said, I don't know. It really does stump me. I spent I spent a basically a whole month researching and just spending time getting to know Rodney Alcala and reading his stories and the stories of the victims and people that he touched. And it just doesn't make any sense to me why he just gave up, but he did. He was arrested. And (laughs) again, they go to court. They do the whole rigmarole. She testifies Still saying that it's consensual, though. She still, even on trial, said that it was consensual. And even though she said it was consensual, he was still convicted of kidnapping and the rape of a minor. But he was given a $10,000 bail. Jesus Christ. So his mom paid the $1,000 that it cost him to get him out, and he was a free man for six months until his trial. His actual, you know... You have no idea what what he probably did within those six months. I bet he just ran a fucking muck. Oh, he had to. Uh, probably that's probably where a lot of the victims came from was in that time, mm-hmm. and in between all the other incidents. Six months. In those six months, actually, he only murdered two people that we can conclusively link him to. The murder that we can link him to and actually led to his downfall is one that took place in Huntington Beach. 1979, right after his trial, or right after his conviction, he's on bail. He decided to go to the beach for the day in a suit. He always stood out, which was weird because he looked like he would always stand out and somehow he always fit in. But he would go to the beach wearing big collars, dress shoes, suede suits you know the fucking brown big collared shirts and shit really goofy like people notice this man at the beach they he stuck out you you would notice somebody dressed as a fucking clown in the er so you know it was weird i don't it's just another thing that doesn't make sense to me sometimes he can be a sheep and other times he's obviously a wolf he was doing the classic like weird guy from the movies you see back in the day chasing girls who are rollerblading down the street to take pictures of them <laughs> hey hey hold up hold up you girls are gorgeous stop take a picture of you? he does that with two 12 year old girls today bridget and robin bridget's neighbor actually had seen rodney walk up and start trying to take pictures of these girls and she was like, hey, are you okay, Bridget? Is everything okay? Is this guy doing anything? And the girl, in her testimony, and the neighbor said that in a flash, his head was down, his camera's packed, and he was gone. Robin had to go, though. She had to go to ballet practice, and she was really excited, so she told Bridget, bye. Bridget said, uh, that was kind of weird with that guy, though. She was a smart eight, or a smart 12-year-old. She said, will you take my bike at least? And she did. 45 minutes later, Rodney found her again. That was the last time anybody seen Robin Samso alive. Robin Samso was 12, 
She had a family that loved her. She was a pretty young blonde girl, and she was just like most of the other women and girls in this story, and she was very trusting. And it's, it's really sad what Rodney did to this family because this would be the trial that would take him down eventually, but it would take nearly 40 years in the criminal justice system. Robin didn't return home that night, and so they filed a missing persons report. Everybody who's seen Robin that day seen her with Rodney at that beach. He, like, again, they I don't... They remembered him because he stuck out. Exactly. I don't know I don't know if he had just given up or what, but like I said, everybody recognized that man that was last seen with this girl. And with that, a sketch was drawn up from witness or eyewitness testimonies, and the fucking person who's seen it and called Rodney in was his parole officer. He's seen that picture, and he said, Rodney's at it again. God oh, shucks. damn it. God, Margaret, get my shoes. I got to go to the courthouse. Well, next, next time he's on parole, we're going we're gonna to really stick it to him. He can only go two states over, not across the country. <laughs> Rodney was arrested, and the police didn't even have to fight him. He gave up. He was ready to be arrested at this point. When it comes to Rodney, we'll get into it, too, at the end. I have a list of the victims that'll be linked because of DNA, and it gets pretty gruesome what he did. And another reason why I think he stopped and kind of gave up was because with Robin Samso, all he did was strangle her and leave her. No rape, no posing, no beatings. He just killed her as if it was something he needed to do for the day and continued on his way. That was June 20th of 1979. So when Rodney got arrested, he didn't do what a lot of people did. Gacy had that breakdown and told his defense lawyer everything. Jeffrey Dahmer is on record as one of the most talkative serial killers of all time. A lot of people come out and say what they did. Rodney never did that. He was very tight-lipped. He, he, I don't know if it was him not wanting to be caught. I don't know. Something I didn't tell you about Rodney was he had an impressive IQ. IQ is kind of fucking, you know, it's kind of relevant, kind of not. Right, right. But it was 140. That is pretty high. It's near genius levels. Yeah, it's astoundingly high. So like I said, I feel like the reason why he didn't talk was because he wanted to continue his crimes. He thought at some point he would get out. He thought he could fool his way out of this one. And he, I mean, he kind of did. It took him 30 years to get prosecuted. But before we get into that, I kind of want to go over this weird list of shit that they found in his mom's house, in his room specifically. It's just kind of like, I've had some weird stuff in my room before. I used to hide my weed and my protein mix for my pre-workout. I mean, that's that's pretty, like, typical, you know? <laughs> well, yeah, but then I'd be smoking. The bag wouldn't always be uh, closed right, so then I'd have a lot of chocolatey weed, and that was kind of the weird stuff I'd have, because I'd have yeah. a whole bag of weed that I couldn't smoke, because I didn't know how protein powder would burn. <laughs> right. So my buddies would always come over and they'd be like, man, it's so weird that you have a bag of weed you never smoke. I'm like, huh, funny story. How about that. But in Rodney's room and his funny stories are a little different. Probably not so funny, I would no. imagine. So in Rodney's room, he's 30 at this time. He had one pair of pink panties with tape on the sides. Don't know what that's about. Handcuffs and rope. Some photographs of young girls. Stuff that seems pretty 
on par for what we've been talking about. He had a porno mag, and it was the worst name of a porno mag I've ever heard in my life. I don't do porno mags because we're the online generation of jerking off. Yeah, that's that's pretty modern. But he had porno magazines titled Young and Naked. And that's just disturbing. It Right? Doesn't yeah. that just seem like even if it's not a criminal one, it's kind of a criminal one? That's the kind of magazine you go and buy, and the cashier is going to definitely judge you, I would think. I would think so, too. <laughs> and then you want to know the weirdest thing, I think? He had, I mean, you you mentioned it. You remember his hair? Yeah, yeah, the long flowing hair. He had a frizzy black wig in his room. What the fuck? I don't know if it was when he started to change his hair and he really missed his old hair, but it was like a him wig, basically. That's really odd. Yeah, I agree. Especially mixed with a rape kit. (laughs) Yeah, no shit. But the thing that would solidify Rodney and put him in jail for the rest of his life was a receipt in his room. That receipt was for a storage unit in Seattle. Oh, boy. When the police got... To that storage unit, they found 1,100 pictures of women, boys, and girls, all naked, 990 of which are explicit to the point that the FBI will not release them. Like I said, it was various states of death, consciousness, and beatings. That's not even his only trophy. Another trophy Rodney had was earrings. He loved collecting earrings. And another reason why people think that he might have more victims is he had almost a hundred pairs of women's earrings. Holy fuck. No, I don't know if he did commit all those crimes or not, but I wouldn't put it past him. With this, we start the trial. His trial would go on for 31 fucking years. Three trials he got. Like I said earlier... I don't really want to go into them because it's a lot of judicial rigmarole, a lot of, well, this person wasn't here to give their testimony, so we shouldn't count it. A pedophile's going to pedophile, so we can't connect that to murder because rape and murder aren't the same and, and shit like that. It was basically right, a farce. Right, just, yeah, right. I... He even had the nerve when he was on, on the stand to write a book, self-published, called You the Jury, where he would discredit everything that people said throughout the trial against him witnesses the mother the brothers of robin samso professionals just a 300 page mockery of them basically and a lot of it's just long he does say some stuff that's worth checking out and his whole thing in the end where he gets to it is he end he ends up doing the ted bundy thing he defends himself his third trial and he blows kisses at the mother of the victim he he says things that are just outlandish he he like i said he make he makes a mockery of the whole thing luckily though his third trial took place in 2011 you know what happened in 2003 no what happened in 2003 convicts in uh, california were made to give up their dna so he had to give a DNA sample 
and he protested. He protested for about as much long as he could before they beat him and took it almost. Well, I couldn't see why. I know, right? And with that, in 2003, Rodney had four murders pegged onto the Robin Samso murder. Two or three that we had talked about already, and then the Robin Samso one is the fifth and final one, making it five murders he would stand on trial. He had semen, saliva, and blood that linked him to most of these murders, and it was basically a layup. It was an hour of deliberating, and it was over. He was sentenced to death for the third time in in 31 years. Unfortunately, by the time he got sentenced and everything had finally wrapped up in 2011, he had basically gone crazy by 2017. He wasn't, the government didn't even see the point in frying him. He was so gone with Alzheimer's. And he actually died last year in a better way than he should have died. He died at 77 and happy in prison. Which is a shame, too, because that guy should have suffered for all the crimes and atrocities he committed. I mean, from what I've heard and what I've learned tonight, you know, this guy sounds like a very calculated visceral serial killer you know he he knew his target demographic for his victims he knew his intentions with those victims and the worst part is is for the most of the killings and like acts he committed early on in his career he was it was just so easy for him to take his beatings and you know take his licks and then walk away and do it all over again exactly that's what insane that's what it makes you it, it makes you so sick that's why i didn't even want to put us through an hour of talking about how he got around the system yeah and just say that he did because it's it was despicable and he was so he's only conclusively linked to eight murders it's really unfortunate i really do believe that there are a lot more there has to be more based on the evidence of the photos and the earring collection itself i think that's a dead giveaway yeah obviously the photos but you know the earrings it's like okay come on this guy liked to collect them i I can't imagine he was just going out and buying women's earrings because he liked them you know what i mean (laughs) exactly especially well in a a lot of them were tested for dna as well and that's what linked robin samso and a few other murders yeah so you know the the little bit of blood and the little bit of dna you have on your earrings can technically be used to link you so there are you know, there is a lot that went into him being convicted with this. But like I said, he died. He had a far much nicer death than the rest of the women that I'm about to talk about here. And it really, it is truly despicable. He had preservation of life for one person in this entire world, and it was him. He fought for 30 long years to save his own ass and died happy in jail. These poor women did not have that luxury. It's kind of surprising to me that he wasn't killed off in jail earlier on by, you know, a fellow inmate or something of that matter, you know, based on his crimes. And it's one of those weird things where nowadays I feel like going to jail as a child molester or murderer is a death sentence in a lot of places. 100% is, yeah. In 1977, I feel like it was almost a rite of passage for some people because he didn't, it never affected him. He was liked by everybody throughout jail prisoners and inmates he even gave a two-hour documentary about what it's like to be on death row before he died he had the audacity to compare it to that one time when he was a kid and his tire was flat on his motorcycle that's fucking pathetic he said that it's a feeling of helplessness and like what what did he say vulnerability or something like that except for it's 
lasting and drawn out. And it really shows you that he had, you know, this is what these stories are about. It's showing that he had compassion. He had human feelings and emotion. He was just so narcissistic and selfish that it was only for himself. It's truly despicable. I agree. So we'll cover the last few murders and we'll leave you guys with the sick details and we'll kind of bring some light to these poor women that waited nearly 40 years to be discovered and linked to him. Our first one is going to go all the way back to 1977, November the 19th. Jill Barkham, an 18-year-old in Oneida, New York, she had just gotten to L.A. Not even a month after being there, her body was found out on a dirt trail near Mahalm Drive. Jill's body was rolled up like a ball, first responders say, her neck being pushed to the ground in a way where it helped prop her body up. It was as if she was in the fetal position when they were found, or when they found her, but in a way that she had to have been broken to be put that way, they said. She was originally thought to be a Hillside Strangler victims, but Kennifer Bianchi and Angela Bono, the real Hillside Stranglers, seen that case and they said, we didn't even fucking, that's too much for us. Damn. Just a month later, Rodney went to Malibu. He murdered, raped, and posed a young woman, Georgia Marie Wickstead. 27. She was found dead in her apartment. She was strangled with nylon stockings and had been ripped at by one side of a claw hammer and beaten to death with the other. Rodney was becoming more brutal and theatrical with posing as murders now, as you'll see. Rodney was in a cycle of murder at this point in his life, and you can see that it just kind of progressed further as the timeline went on. We're now in June 24th of 1978, and there's another rape, murder, and public posing of the body. This one is in a laundry room at an apartment complex. She was strangled with a shoelace, and she had been raped and beaten. And she was like all other previously mentioned victims. She had gone unknown without a name, and for so long, I didn't even find it. Wow. This was a cold case for 40 years. Holy shit. I, and I, I, laundry rooms are scary in apartment complexes. Yeah, Could I agree. Could you imagine fucking walking into one and there's a fucking corpse sitting on top of, hung there with shoelace that's tied around her neck to her arms, keeping her bound? That that gives me all kinds of visuals of the apartment complex I used to live in. And I'm just trying to like picture I I don't want to picture it. I really don't, but I don't know. Images are kind of flooding and it's just fucked up. Yeah. And that's the thing. I feel like a reason why everybody can feel that way is because it's so public. Everybody's been to a park. Everybody's driven on the interstate. Everybody's done their laundry in a fucking laundry room. Yeah. And we've all seen movies and shit where that stuff is real, but like this was before all that. This was what those movies are made from right yeah like real events that happened and took place truly nightmarish finally we're at our last victim at least that we know of 20 21 year old jill parento she had left work early that day to go see a baseball game and when she never arrived at work the next day there was a welfare check done on her she was found strangled on her bathroom floor she had pillows underneath her propping her up and her shoulder so her head was laying back and she was 
obviously assaulted and sexually molested. It was the first thing that you saw when you walked into the apartment was a freshly raped corpse of a woman. He did this so that it would be the first thing you saw. And next to her body was a screwdriver. This was the only time it's ever even postulated that he broke into a house was that screwdriver was used to take a screen off of her window. Every other person, there was no signs of self-defense wounds, no signs of breaking and entering, no signs of anything malicious. These people all had invited a man into their house, trusting, and then were murdered. This poor woman, I nobody even knows how it happened. Right, she had no idea what was coming to her. And, you know, I wonder if maybe he was, like, stalking this woman or something like that, or, you know. He could have just been driving around one day and just saw her walking into her apartment, and then he could have just looked in his passenger seat and been like, well, I'm going to break in there and fucking kill her, rape her, and, you know, that's so fucked up. That Well, that's what I think makes him such a such a scary serial killer to talk about. He has no real calling card he has no real victim type he has no age range he you know the pictures of young naked boys shows that he obviously probably molested or assaulted or even murdered young boys young girls mm-hmm. and women he went from ages 30 to 8 he was someone who would drive down the street and see somebody and it's you know it's how a normal person drives down the street and says that's a pretty person, or that person's, you know, attractive. Maybe I should give him my number. His first thing is, maybe I can convince them to get in my car. It's crazy. That's the list of the victims that we know about for Rodney Alcala. In 2010, Huntington Beach and New York City Police Departments released 120 pictures of women, children, boys, girls that Rodney had taken pictures of over the years in hopes of identifying them and helping clear up any cold cases that they could along the way. The only one that ever led to a cold case being cleaned up so far was Christine Thornton in 2013. About 15, 20 people called in the first few months and said, yes, that's me in some of those pictures. I'm alive. Nothing happened. So he did do this regularly where it wasn't murder, rape, or worse, or less. Sometimes he just did take pictures. But like I said, there's still 110 pictures that are out there in circulation. If you know anybody or anybody in your family or life has been affected by somebody from 30, 40 years ago, grandma, uncles, anything like that, where somebody went missing, it wouldn't hurt to check out the database just because any any one person taken off that list is another family that gets closure and a sense of relief that a lot of these people didn't get for so long and some never will have hey what's going on guys it's tyler it's talon and we're from misfortunate media and we're here to talk to you about better help listen guys we get it life is hard life is stressful this country doesn't take mental health as serious as it should this is where better help comes in to help everyone here deals with some form of depression stress fatigue and exhaustion so we partnered with better help to help everyone who wants it Use code MISFORTUNATE at BetterHelp.com, MISFORTUNATE, to get 10% off your first month. That's better. H-E-L-P dot com forward slash MISFORTUNATE. Stay misfortunate and always listen to mom. With that, our story of Rodney Alcala ends. Like I said, he died 77, he died of natural causes, and he died way too good for a man like him. Like I said earlier, it goes under the radar because, personally, 
and I think maybe some of you will agree with me after this story, he truly is terrifying to talk about. He is not someone that has the grandiose of a Dahmer or a Gacy or a Bundy, but he has the brutality and the narcissism and all of the things that made them the monsters they were, all without the public appeal. And it's probably why a lot of you people haven't heard about it up until now. I, to a certain extent, wish I hadn't heard about any of this because, as you just said, it is very terrifying to listen to all of this. Like, I definitely feel, and I'm not even trying to exaggerate here, I definitely feel a certain sense of frightened, being frightened and just, you know, paranoia just hearing about this guy because it makes me think, you know, of how many more people out there were like this, are like this, and still exist in society today. It's really fucking terrifying. And plus, like, you know, where we live, Iowa is a huge, it's very popular for human trafficking to happen here. I've got a friend who lives in town that was almost a victim of it. There's His sister has a friend that, to, to this day, it's basically a cold case. He just went missing one day. And they still haven't found or heard anything about what happened to him. It's it's really it's kind of like an existential fear that you know living in an area like this. It's like that could easily happen to you one day. You just never fucking know. Yeah, I mean, it shows you how these criminals have evolved and how some stuff has changed a lot for the better with DNA and all that. But people still can get away with anything. Yeah, it's really how we. It's really how it is. And speaking of getting away with anything, Rodney Alcala truly was a chameleon killer and an apex predator, all wrapped in one cheap, big-collared suit. We talked about him like he was a monster, and what he did was terrifying. But I do want to reiterate, he was not a Cenobite walking on the earth. He was not the Dr. Jekyll, Mr. Hyde. He was a man who had nothing better to do and had no better outlet for his time and creativity than to murder, rape, abuse, and defile other human beings. He was truly the lowest of the low, and we did this story not to make him a monster, like I said, but to reveal him as the creepy, big-haired, cheap-suit-wearing sack-of-shit that he truly is. If you do not agree with anything that Rodney did, then that makes you a human being because what he was was the lowest of human beings. He was truly garbage. I agree. With that being said, I think it's uh, time we cap things off here. Yes, sir. Um, we definitely thank you for tuning in today. Um, we're sorry if some of that may have scarred you. It definitely has scarred me. I, will, uh, I, I, I hate to say it, but I kind of want to look into it just a little bit more for myself now. I feel like in a certain sense of things, I need to know just a little bit more about old Rodney here. I'm definitely going to be looking up some more uh, video interviews and stuff like that. Real quick, I just wanted to give a shout out to all the listeners. Um, we've definitely had some great months coming at us. Uh, please keep that up, guys. Be sure to check us out on all our social media platforms. We're on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter coming to a mobile device near you uh yep. we occasionally stream on twitch we also have a discord if you guys are interested in that um patreon patreon yes we will be definitely dropping some info on patreon for that we do have something a little exciting coming up uh 
We haven't really talked about it too much yet, but I'm going to go ahead and put it out there. We're going to be doing a raffle within the next month or so. I'm not going to reveal what the item is yet, but I think you guys will be excited for it, especially our hardcore fans here. I'm talking about you, Sweden. I'm already excited for it. I don't even know what he's talking about. That's how secret it is. That's right. Like Riley said, thank you guys for coming. We did Rodney Alcala this week. Terrible story. Terrible person. We have another terrible story filled with terrible people coming up next as we will be covering um Rikyo, the mountain wizards of japan the cult that took over japan with anime and big anime titted girls so at that i leave you i'm dylan the intern thank you guys for coming to my story i am riley the guest of the evening i am your fearless leader tyler campbell we're fucking out <laughs>